Again, uh, this morning, as I said last week to the congregation, I'm going to be teaching more than preaching. Uh, this is not an exposition of Scripture. I won't be expositing the text that Chris read, but this is a topical series on heaven. And uh, it almost, heaven almost defies exposition because it's all over the Bible. So um, I just want to let you know I, I will be teaching more than, than uh, preaching this morning. Um, I read a, a book several years ago. I bet some of you have read it too. It's by John Eldridge and Brent Curtis, A Sacred, The Sacred Romance. How many of you have read this book, The Sacred Romance? You've got to read this book, guys. I, need, I guess I maybe need to put it on the table. Um, it's their take on the heart of Christianity, and at its core, it's a romance between God and His people. Um, I love this uh, metaphor, and I love the word romance. I think it fits, it fits what I see on the pages of Scripture. Um, have you ever read a line in a book, and you never forget where you were when you read that line? Because the light bulb came on over your head. Anybody? Anybody ever had this experience? I've had this experience several times, usually when I'm reading Piper. Um, but I was reading, I, I can remember, it was 2002, I was at lunch, I was on my lunch break, I was parked in my car, I was sitting in front of the state capitol building uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I read this line, and I knew immediately that this was true. At least it was true for me. And this is the line that, that I read in the Eldridge and Curtis's book, It's the Sacred Romance. There is in the heart of every human being, a deep longing for intimacy, beauty, and adventure. I know I've shared this with you before, but you know what? That's true for me. I want these things. I want intimacy, beauty, and adventure. Intimacy, to, to know and to be known. Perfect love and communication. To be desired and pursued perfect oneness and tenderness and kindness and mutual delight. Beauty, to see it, to be in awe of it, to drink it up, to savor it, as C.S. Lewis says, to be enveloped by it. I think this is within the heart of every man and woman. Adventure, to be fully engaged uh, uh, in, in some challenging and worthy endeavor. You know, this is, the, the, this is really Hollywood's formula, right? Romance, intimacy, beauty, adventure. This has always been Hollywood's formula. They copied it <laughs> from the scriptures, okay? And I know this sounds like fairy tale stuff, but I believe these things in my heart and I want these things. And I think you do too. I think every human being does. One theologian said it like this The world of the gospel contains all the elements of the world of fairy tale, with one notable exception. The gospel's true. I love this quote. Not only did it happen once upon a time, but it is happening still. And it will happen for countless eternities. Now for some of those, for, some, for us, some of us that have uh, gained a certain number of years may know something that some of you younger folks have not yet uh, acknowledged or come to the conclusion of, and that is there's nothing in this world that can satisfy the heart of man. Absolutely nothing. There, I was telling Karen on the way up, we were driving up this morning, I said, what, I, can't, I can't imagine what life would be like if I didn't know the Lord. It would, just be a, it would just be a desert. It would just be a desert. And uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that 
God has set eternity in the heart of man and we have eternal and infinite desires and there's nothing temporal that's going to satisfy us. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing will satisfy us. And we know that that many try to suppress or... And this is something that Eldridge and Curtis would talk about. You know, men try to suppress or domesticate these eternal and infinite desires in a, in a, in a myriad of ways, right? Or, or they just try to find satisfaction for them in some carnal way, some worldly way. But those strategies are doomed to fail. We are made for infinite intimacy, beauty, and, and adventure. And guess who's the only being in the universe who can give that to us? Anybody want to guess? Jesus Christ. We were wired for Him. We were made for Him. And you know, as, as Colossians says, uh, we were made by Him and for Him. And until we come into relationship with Him, uh, there is no satisfaction to be had. Listen to Randy Alcorn. I'm going to quote him liberally um, this morning. Um, I've read an, I'll show it to you. I'll bring it next week. Show it to you. There's, a, there's a great book by Randy Alcorn on heaven. It's, a, it's, it's pretty thick. It's a big one. I think it's everything he ever thought of or read or anyone ever said about heaven, but it's, it's, it's worth the read. But listen to what he says. Nothing is more often misdiagnosed than our homesickness for God. I think that's perfect. We think that we, what we want is sex or drugs or alcohol or a new job or a raise or a doctorate or a spouse or kids or large TV a new car, a cabin at the lake, a condo in Hawaii. What we really want is the person we were made for and His name is Jesus Christ and the place we were made for and that place is heaven. That is the root of every desire. I think that's true. Listen to C.S. Lewis. I find, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logic, logical explanation is that what? I wasn't made for this world. I was made for another one. And then one, one more quote here. G.K. Chesterton said this. I was told again and again that I was in the right place. You know, the here and now. And I still felt depressed at every... Uh, even in my acquiescence. When I heard that this was not my home, my soul sang because I have been homesick all my life. Don't you love these quotes? These guys... These guys understand what we've been talking about. They're pilgrims, man. They're passing through. They're aliens on the earth. They're sojourners. And this is the mindset that God would have each one of His children have. We don't belong here. We're passing through. We're going home, friends. We're going home to be with God. Peter Pan, Peter Pan was right. If you missed the sermon last week, uh, quoted liberally, Peter Pan. And uh, what did Peter Pan say? To die would be an awfully big adventure. And Peter Pan's right for the Christian, right? Peter Pan is right. We are going back to paradise. You know, God put us in paradise. He put us there. He said, everything but the tree is yours. Everything north, south, east, and west of the tree is yours. Everything's yours. And we rebelled against God. And we sinned against Him. We let Satan loose. We let Satan have dominion on the planet, right? But God has come to redeem us and He's taking us back to paradise. I love this. There's this parallel between Eden and heaven. And it's a beautiful thing. I don't think that many Christians think much about it. God is going to take us back to God-sized intimacy 
God-sized beauty and God-sized adventure. God's going to take us back there. He's redeemed His people at great cost to Himself. Yes, that's God in a manger. Yes, that's God on the cross. Yes, He's taking us back home. He's taking His people back home. So, can we uh, imagine what heaven will be like? What does the, you know, biblically I would say to you yes, and I would say no. Both things are true. 1 Corinthians 2.9 is, is often used in this regard. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. That verse is often quoted um, uh, in regard to we can't really know what heaven's like. But if you, go, if you read the very next verse, which I bet many of you never have, the very next verse, the very next verse is this. For us, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. While we can't know perfectly and exhaustively all that heaven will be, God has given us some huge clues. He's given us some huge clues and He means for us to live looking forward to going home. And while there are obviously countless breathtaking surprises in store for us in heaven, God has given us some idea about heaven from the Scriptures. In my view, um, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, God is showing us glimpses of heaven all the way through the Bible. This is why heaven almost defies exposition. It's why a preacher doesn't... You, 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 know, you don't normally hear, hear a preacher get up and, and preach on heaven and just go verse by verse. It almost defies it. Because every time God discloses Himself to script, in Scripture, it's a foretaste of heaven. It's like when He walked with Adam and Eve. Right? When he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's like when he kept just coming to Abraham. He just keeps coming to Abraham. He just keeps coming to Abraham. It's like when he came and revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. Every time God reveals himself in the Bible, it's a glimpse of heaven because that's what he's going to do forever. He's going to give himself to us forever. And it's going to take forever to apprehend him. Which is to say we never will. We've been talking about this the last few weeks. What about Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration? He, he let the veil go back and He showed uh, Peter, James, and John just how awesome He is. We saw the, the Mount of Transfiguration, allegedly, uh, when we went to the Holy Land last year. We don't know if that's really the one. But God will be disclosing Himself forever to His people. What about when God puts His omnipotent power on display in, in Scripture? When He effortless, effortlessly speaks a billion galaxies into existence? What does the Scripture say? Job 38, 7. And all the sons shouted for joy. And God just effortlessly speaks billions of galaxies into existence. Friends, this is the kind of power we'll, we'll be watching forever and ever. These are some of the marvels that we'll be exposed to. Every time God drew intimately to one of His children, it's a taste of heaven. You remember when He came to Elijah? <laughs> and that soft breeze. You remember that? Wasn't that beautiful? And you remember, you remember when... Uh, when he came to Mary Magdalene at the, at the, the morning, Easter morning, when she was at the tomb, you remember when he came to her? He says, Mary. And she saw him. And the joy, just the joy welling up in her heart. Um, every time God kept a promise in the Bible, it's a preview of heaven because that's what he's going to do forever. He's going he's to keep every promise forever to his people. My point is this, heaven is all over the pages of Scripture. It's all over the pages of Scripture. Every intimate moment with God and His people, it's a foretaste of heaven. 
every breathtaking display of God's omnipotent power. It's a, it's a foretaste of heaven. Every outrageous adventure that God led His people on, it's a foretaste. It's a foretaste of heaven. So people say it's hard to get a solid picture of heaven. I say wrong. Heaven is all over the pages of Scripture. The foretaste and a picture of it is. And you just have to be looking for it. So what happens to the Christian when he dies? God tells us explicitly, there's no confusion here, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When, the, when a Christian dies, he immediately, his spirit immediately goes to be in, in the presence of God. He goes to heaven. And what, what I want to ask you, is this the Christian's final state? Being in heaven as disembodied spirits. Is this our, is this our, uh, our final state, our final destination? Many Christians think that it is. Listen to Wayne Grudem, a pretty well-known theologian in the U.S. Christians often talk about living with God in heaven forever. But the biblical teaching is richer than that. It tells us that there will be a new uh, heaven and a new earth, an entirely renewed creation. And we will live with God there. And there will be a new kind of unification of heaven and earth. The heaven that we go to when we die is a temporary place. Okay? You guys know this, right? Some of you may not. It's a temporary dwelling place. The new heaven and the new earth is our ultimate destination. Okay? Many Christians are unaware of this or they've never made this distinction in the study of the Scriptures. In fact, you heard, you heard Chris read the text. What did it say in, in Revelation 21.1? What did it say? I saw the old earth and the old heaven pass away and the new heaven and the new earth coming down. So, one will give way to the other. Alcorn again. Let me, read, let me quote this. I love this. Most views of heaven are anti-incarnational. Anti-incarnational. Listen to what he says. They fail to grasp that heaven will be God dwelling with us. A resurrected people on the resurrected earth. As Jesus is God incarnate, so the new earth will be heaven incarnate. I love this thought. I think this is... Uh, Imminently biblical. If the eternal heaven will be the new earth, doesn't that suggest that the current earth must be bursting with clues about what the, uh, the new earth will be like? This may be uh, brand new to some of you guys, but I think Alcorn is right on the money here. In a recent survey in America, um, of those who actually believed in a resurrection of the dead, two-thirds believed they wouldn't have a body physical body. Friends, this is self-contradictory. That's what the resurrection is. We will be physical beings forever, as will the Lord Jesus. God is taking us back to Eden, but it's a better Eden. It's a resurrected Eden. And we will be resurrected, glorified men and women, and we will serve and love and worship a glorified, resurrected, physical God. That being Jesus Christ. Alcorn, again, uh, in his book, he makes, he makes some parallels, parallels um, between Eden and the new earth. And I'm just going to read them to you, okay? Just listen. Um, Eden, original mankind. New earth, resurrected mankind. Eden, original earth. Uh, new earth, resurrected earth. Innocent man reigns. Redeemed man reigns. God visits Eden. Uh, God lives with man on the new earth. The tree and the river of life are in Eden. The tree and the river of life are in the new Jerusalem. There is no sin or death in Eden. 
Sin and death has been forever removed on the new earth. God's glory is seen in Eden. God's glory fully manifested uh, in the new world, in the new earth. Unhindered worship in Eden. Unhindered worship in the new earth. Mankind tends animals in Eden. Harmony between man and animals in, in the new earth. Joy and satisfaction in labor. Joy and satisfaction in labor. Abundant, delicious food. Abundant, delicious food. Man able to sin. Man empowered to never sin. Naked in innocence. Clothed in righteousness. Beginning, uh, the beginning of human culture. The purification and expansion of culture. Mankind grows, learns, and creates. Mankind grows, learns, and creates. God's plan for man uh, is revealed. God's plan for man is realized. I love all of this parallel and continuity that flows from Eden into the new heaven and the new earth. I shared this quote with you last week. J.C. Ryle said, I pity the man who never thinks about heaven. And, and Randy Alcorn says, I pity the man who never thinks accurately about heaven. And we talked about this last week, that Satan has co-opted the discussion. He's turned it in, to, into kind of a joke. He, he's got people believing, one, that either heaven doesn't exist, or if it does exist, it's boring because we're going to be little naked cherubs playing harps sitting on clouds. You know, this is just a, a big... Stupid lie. But people actually believe these things. They actually have these images in their mind. Or heaven's just going to be one long church service. Friends, these things uh, are not biblical. These things are not biblical. God has given us many clues about heaven. All we've got to do is look at Eden. And really we can even look at this fallen world. Even though much of the beauty and magnificence of this fallen world has been marred, we do have hints of what the new earth might be like. Listen to what Francis Schaeffer says. And I, I, I want, I, what I want to do, one thing I want to do when we, through this heaven series, and I want to set your imagination free. Listen to Francis Schaeffer. The Christian is the really free man, free to imagine. And the Christian is the one whose imagination should fly beyond the stars. Don't you love that? It should fly beyond the stars. Listen to what he says. Our imagination doesn't fly away from the truth. It flies up on the truth. Friends, our God is, is infinitely awesome. And heaven will be infinitely awesome. And if you're not thinking about it, you know, you, you're missing one of the huge segments in your job description as a Christian. You're supposed to be motivated when you go to work by heaven. You're supposed to be motivated when you relate to your wife. By heaven. You're supposed to be motivated by heaven when you're raising your kids. Everything we do. We're supposed to let the hope, the inheritance that we have inform everything we do. God means for us to look forward to this. And as we've been talking about in the last few weeks, we are building our own eternity in our own stewardship. And I can't go into all of that this, this week, but if you haven't heard those sermons, please go out and get them. You know, the question comes up, and it was on this song, uh, I, I Can Only Imagine, when all I will do is worship Jesus. Is that all we'll do in heaven, is worship Jesus? Yes. But I want to give you a couple examples. Yes. Uh, we will be resurrected men and women living on a resurrected earth, and every nanosecond of eternity, we will be hopelessly enamored with Jesus Christ. We will be hopelessly enamored with Him and we will never want to stop worshiping Him with heart in heart exploding celebrations of worship. But we will also worship Jesus as we do these things. 
as we rule, as we reign, as we work, as we serve, as we explore, as we discover, as we learn, as we design, as we create, as we investigate, as we build, as we travel, as we relate to one another, as we meet and talk to some of our heroes. Who do you want to talk to, man? I can't wait to talk to Peter about walking on the water. I can't wait to talk to him about that. I want to hear about that. I want to talk to Abraham, man. I want to talk to David. I want, to, I want him to recount that day he stood in front of Goliath. I want to hear about that. Man, I want to talk to Martin Luther. You know, what was it like to stand before that council and say, I stand on the Word of God. Were you afraid, Martin? Were you afraid? You know, I want, I want to talk to these guys. Can you imagine? I want to, go, I want to talk to Adenauer and Judson, you know, that, that great missionary to Burma. And I've been to Burma. And, and, and just the, the foundation he laid there. Man, I, I want to talk to that guy. And, you know, we'll worship Jesus as we dream and as we love and as we touch and eat and hike and play and ride horses on the beach and 10,000 other things you love to do. You'll be worshiping Jesus. I think we've had way too small a view of heaven. <laughs> and friends, it's going to be huge. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be... Awesome. And all that we do in heaven will be an expression of our worship to our awesome and beautiful and captivating and compelling God. His name is Jesus Christ. You know, to drive home this truth, I love what Randy Alcorn says. He says, uh, um, you've never really been hugged till you've been hugged in heaven. <laughs> I mean, you know, hugging somebody is a simple thing. He says, man, you've never really been hugged till you've been hugged in heaven. Because everything's going to take on a new dimension. God-honoring, God-centered, God-glorifying dimension. I love it. I just thought that was a great quote. So everything down to a hug will be awesome. It will be awesome. Randy Alcorn says, we are in on the family business. God is bringing the kids into the business. And the business is we will rule and reign. An infinite cosmos. We will rule and reign and have dominion under King Jesus. We will be unchallenged, delegated rulers of the created realm. Matthew 25, 34, Jesus says, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Luke 12, 32, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. You know, if somebody says, Jim, you don't have any time, preach something. I would preach Luke chapter 12. I would just go to Luke chapter 12. I love Luke chapter 12. Be rich toward God. Stop worrying about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. Look to God, men of little faith. Don't be afraid. Your Father has chosen gladly to give you everything to give you the kingdom of God. And that's what He's going to do. He's going to give His kids everything. That's what heaven's going to be about. He's going to be giving His kids everything. God gave dominion to man in the garden. We gave it to Satan. God is going to give it back. God is going to give it back. You ever notice, you ever read through the book of Romans and it's just this lofty theology, man. It's just awesome stuff, you know. And it's all about how God's redeeming His people and it's just, it's just compelling. It's, it's, it's hard to even stop reading it. And then you get to one of the high points there in, in the, the book of Romans, Romans 8 and 9. And right in the middle there of chapter 8, God starts talking about redeeming creation. I think Adam actually referred to it this morning in something he said or prayed. You get, listen, listen to Romans 8, 19 to 22. 
You know, I think we sometimes think that the redemption is simply about us. It's about the cosmos. It's about the world. God's going to redeem creation. Listen to Romans 8, 19-20. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. You guys, I think we, take, we think too little about sin. And consequently, we, we think too little about um, the redemption that Jesus has purchased for us. The whole cosmos was thrown into corruption. The furthest asteroid on the other side of the universe was thrown into corruption. In some measure, the Bible goes on and says, the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Into, listen to this, I love this line. Into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. <laughs> into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For uh, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth. Brothers and sisters, God is not going to throw matter away. God likes matter. God made matter. Matter matters to God. It's not going anywhere. He loves it. He's going to redeem it. It was our sin that, that threw it into futility and corruption. God is going to redeem His bride and He is going to redeem His creation. We're going back to Eden. We will live on the new earth. We will live on the new earth under the sovereign authority of our awesome and beautiful King, King Jesus. I love what Piper says about the Hub what the Hubble telescope has revealed to us. John Piper says this, the vastness of space is not a commentary on our own insignificance. What's it a commentary on? On God. The infinite nature. You know, they can't find the end of the cosmos. The scientists can't find it. And it's not, I like what Pirate, it's not a commentary on us, it's a commentary on Him. It's a commentary on heaven. It's a commentary on everything in the Christian's life. It's a commentary, in my view, on infinite uh, intimacy and infinite beauty and infinite adventure that you and I will experience as if we are Christians this morning. Again, I'm speaking to Christians. I, I should make this qualification. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about people who've come to Christ who are in Christ, who've been saved by Christ, whose Lord is Christ. That's who I'm talking to this morning. If you're not uh, in relationship with Christ, please come talk to me after the service. But I'm talking to Christians this morning. And friends, we're going home. <laughs> and it's going to be jaw-dropping every nanosecond for a billion eternities. And listen, we're supposed to be thinking about these things. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be stirred up about them. They're supposed to be driving our lives some of you have heard my uh, Hubble telescope uh, illustration, right? I love it. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I get really excited when I, when I uh, uh, get to do my Hubble telescope illustration. You probably know it by heart, don't you? You know, the Hubble telescope, they, they, the scientists pointed it at the darkest part of the sky, which means the emptiest part of the sky. And uh, if, you, if you held a grain of sand you know, at arm's length, that's the, the, the size of the piece of space they were looking at, okay? A grain of sand at arm's length. And you know what they found? Some of you know, I've, I've used this several times. They found billions of galaxies. And this is, this is like, this is like um, the darkest part of the sky. And they found billions of galaxies, right? So how many of you, and this, was 11, this is 11 billion light years into space. How many of you know how far a light year is? 
A light year is 6 trillion miles. 11 billion times 6 trillion. They can't find the end of the cosmos. And what's this a picture of? It's a picture of God's infinity. And it's a picture of the infinite joy. When He says, you know, Fear not, little flock, for your Father's chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. You know, this is how I see it. This is how big the kingdom is. This is what God's going to give to His children. We will be resurrected physical beings, loving and worshiping and serving a resurrected physical God, exercising dominion over the physical cosmos. Uh, I guess me kind of jazzed. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Um, Alcorn provides uh, a, another table where he, he compares assumptions about heaven to actual biblical statements about heaven or biblical inferences about heaven. Just a few. Let me just share a couple with you. The, the assumption is that we're going to live on some kind of non-earth. Wrong. We're going to live on the new earth. The assumption is that we're, we're going to live in some kind of unfamiliar, otherworldly, uh, spooky place. Wrong. We're going to live uh, in a familiar place. We're going to live on something similar to the old earth, but it will be the new earth. You know, some people assume we're going to be disembodied spirits. Wrong. We're going to live in uh, physical resurrected bodies. Some believe that, you know, this, this, there's something foreign or alien about the environment that we will live in. Wrong. It is our true home and our heart will tell us it's our true home. Right? I love that. Uh, some believe that you know, I'm going to have to leave my favorite good things on the earth. Wrong. You will be able to take your favorite good things, and what I mean by that, the things you love in your heart, there will be some continuity between this life and the next. And I can't explain it. There's mystery here. But I'm convinced there's some continuity between this life and next. Uh, some of the good things you enjoy here, you will enjoy there. Just oh, Here it is. A good meal. Sitting down with brothers and sisters, having a feast. We're going to do the same thing there. We're going to do the same thing there. You know, some people think heaven's going to be static and boring, and you know, I'm going to know everything wrong. It's going to be dynamic and thrilling. Some people think there's going to be like some loss of desire wrong. It will. Our desire will continue to rage forever, and God will satisfy it. God will satisfy our raging desire. As we talked about last week, our lust for God will be satisfied. I, uh, I get pretty excited about this stuff. Yes, you know, God could fill up eternity. God will fill up eternity. But God delights in lavishing secondary joys on His kids. You know, there are going to be an infinite number of secondary joys or derivative joys. All, all, you know, all joy stems from the Father. But we will experience Tens of thousands of secondary joys, derivative joys. Flowers are beautiful because God's beautiful. Sunsets are stunning because God is stunning. I love this one. <laughs> Puppies are delightful because God's delightful. Don't you love that? Recreation is fun because God is fun. Work is fulfilling and rewarding because God is fulfilling and rewarding. Many Christians, I think, are ignorant of the fact that we will rule and we will reign and we will exercise dominion in the new earth, the new heaven and new earth. You know, Paul says, you know, Paul acts like this is theology 101. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. Paul says, don't you know we're going to, the saints are going to judge the world? Don't you know that, that we're going to judge angels? Don't you know that? 
This is what he's telling the Corinthians. Don't you know you're going to rule and reign? Don't you know? Yes, we are. I love Revelation 5, 9, and 10. Don't you know Jesus has appointed us as kings and priests to God, and we shall reign on the earth. Don't you know this, Christian? Don't you know this? Don't you know this? And there's this continuity, there's this link, and there's this connection between this life and the next. We've already covered that aspect of our stewardship. The, our, our diligence in our stewardship will follow us into eternity. Uh, uh, the diligence in our stewardship, you know, it's building, it's filling out the scope and dimensions of our eternity. We will either rule over ten cities or some lesser amount of cities. It kind of depends on, on our diligence now. So we understand that there's continuity in that sense. But I think there's continuity in another sense. Listen to, I told Karen this, I, this was a new insight to me and I really, really like this. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting Randy Alcorn. Listen to what he says. Christ is not simply preparing a place for us. He is preparing us for that place. And I'm going to close with this point. Make one more point. So I want you to hear me make this last point. Do you remember Joseph's uh, trial? How long did Joseph's trial last? Thirteen years. Thirteen years. He was, uh, he was uh, sold into slavery. Uh, he was unjustly... Um, Accused, unjustly imprisoned. Uh, he was forgotten and abandoned. But God was doing something in Joseph's life. What did God ultimately do in Joseph's life? He exalted Joseph to be prime minister of Egypt. And what we see God do on the pages of Scripture with Joseph, I want to say to you, this is what God's doing in your life right now. You know, as a pastor, I get the question all the time. Guess what's the most? Uh, guess what question I get asked the most? Why? Why? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to my kids? Why did this happen to my job? What's God doing? Why? Why is God doing this? That's the question I get most often. You know, sometimes there's there's simply no answer. Sometimes we're supposed to just trust God. Well, we're all all the time we're supposed to trust God. And sometimes we can actually see the direction He's taking us. Sometimes we can't see it at all. But here's your new answer. Here's your new answer. Why? If you can't figure out any other reason, not that you really have to have a reason, we trust the Lord. But hey, if you're looking for a reason, here's one. God's preparing you for what you're going to do in the next world. God's preparing you right now for the responsibilities you will bear in the next world. Hey man, that's a great answer to why. That's a, isn't that a great answer to why? God's preparing me right now. It's hard right now. But I need this. I need this training because I'm going to rule over ten cities. And I need to, I need to have patience and kindness and, and I need to be able to be long-suffering. You know, I, I just think this is, a, this is a tremendous truth. There is continuity between this life and the next. I bet many of you have never thought in these terms what God is doing now. He is preparing you for heaven. He's preparing you for what you will do for Him in heaven. I'm going to close with an Alcorn quote and I'm done. Alcorn says, We all have dreams that often are not realized. We become discouraged and we lose hope. But we are Christ's apprentices and we must learn certain disciplines. 
Apprentices in training must work hard to prepare for the next challenge. Apprentices may wish for three weeks vacation, more pay and better benefits, etc., 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 but the master may see that these would not lead to ultimate success. He may override his apprentice's desires in order that he may, uh, that the apprentice might learn perspective and patience, which will serve them well in the next world. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? And then he closes like this. While the young apprentices experience the death of their dreams, have any of you in here experienced the death of a dream? And we get all wound up about it. You know, I know it's hard. I've, yeah, I've had, the, I've had the same thing happen to me. But friends, we're not supposed to dwell on that. We're supposed to pick ourselves up and go with God. And not wring our hands for the rest of our life because it didn't work out the way I wanted it to do. Right? Listen to what Alcorn said. Many young apprentices will experience the death of their dreams. The Master is getting you ready to dream greater dreams. This is the truth of God. This is what God does in His people. He's getting you ready to, to dream His dreams that will one day be lived out on the new earth. Through the challenges you now face, God is preparing you for those dreams. I love that. And I, I told Karen, I, I was all jazzed up about this yesterday. You know, I was talking to her in the kitchen. And, and I, said, I said something. I go, oh, i got to go write that down. So uh, I'm going to tell you what it, what I, what it came to my, into my head. And I, I want to say it to you, right. So um, as I've told you with regard to our stewardship, we're building, in some measure, we're building our own eternities, right? But guess what God's building? <laughs> He's building you for your eternity right now. So friends, what I want to say is when it's hard and you can't think of any other reason why what God might be doing in your life, rejoice. Because God is preparing you. He is preparing you for what He needs for you to do or wants you to do in the next life. He's getting you ready for God-sized intimacy, God-sized beauty, and God-sized adventure. Friends, I, I am so... I, I just... I, I think I, maybe I could preach on heaven like for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm really, really, really getting excited about it. And we're supposed to be excited about it. And I, I just want to continue to exhort you not to think small about heaven or infrequently about heaven, but to meditate on heaven. Pour over the Scriptures. Pull out all the, all the, the telltale signs of, of what God is going to do for us in heaven. Think about it. Pray about it. Meditate on it. It's going to be spectacular. Let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we thank You for, uh, for the glimpses of heaven that You have given us and Scripture. Lord, every time You intimately come to one of Your own, we see heaven. Every time You put Your power on display, we see heaven. Every time You, you fill Your people up with joy, we see heaven. Lord, heaven is all over the pages of Scripture. Lord, forgive us if we've not thought about it or we've thought incorrectly about it or we've neglected this part of Your revelation. We've not understood that, that You mean for us to be jazzed about heaven. You mean for us to point at heaven. You mean for us to run to the Bema Seat. That's our place. Just like the Olympic athlete, he, he wants to stand on that medal stand. That's what his whole life is about. Our whole life is about the Bema Seat. And we're going to stand there on the Bema Seat and we want to be good stewards. We want to build our life around being a good steward. 
We want to please our Lord. And we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my joy. Lord, may those words ring in our ears every single day. You allow us to walk this planet. May those words ring in our ears that we will give an account and we are, in some measure, building the dimensions of our own eternity. Our place in heaven is being determined now based on our stewardship here. What an awesome truth. Lord, may this inform the way we live, the way we do everything. The way we do everything. Lord, I pray that the Spirit would teach us about heaven and get us excited about heaven. That we would talk to others about heaven. That we wouldn't have these stupid concepts about naked cherubs and clouds and harps and eternal church services. But we'd be looking forward to an unbelievably adventurous time with You forever in an infinite physical cosmos. We praise You, beautiful God. We thank You that You've redeemed us. We thank You that You are going to redeem creation. We thank You that we will be Your stewards for eternity. And we will rule and reign under our beautiful King Jesus. In His name I pray. Amen.